Welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I am your host, Dr. Jessica Hockman. In today's episode, I talk to Dr. Mitch Geffner, a pediatric endocrinologist, and we will answer the most common questions I hear from parents about growth. Dr. Geffner currently works at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, and over the years, he has been my go-to for advice about all things related to pediatric endocrinology. Dr. Geffner is very accomplished. He has been the author of over 150 peer-reviewed research articles, and he is the pediatric endocrinology editor for Up to Date, an important online resource for doctors. I am so grateful to have him as today's guest. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I'm really thrilled to have one of my favorite uh, pediatric endocrinologists here, Dr. Mitch Geffner. He's a professor at the Keck University. I've known Dr. Geffner a long time, and I'm thrilled to have you here to ask you all the questions we have about pediatric height, growth, puberty, all the good stuff. Thrilled to be here, Jessica. So for people that are listening and, and they don't know what an endocrinologist is, can you describe what a pediatric endocrinologist sure. is and what kind of cases that you see and what particular um, diseases you guys study? Sure. Um, well, the, the basic premise of pediatric endocrinology is around hormones, uh, which are you know, chemicals, if you will, in the body that uh, uh, regulate many, many systems um, uh, in and I often answer that question to lay people with uh, the kinds of patients that we take care of are uh, too too tall, too short, too big, too thin, too sweet, not sweet enough, uh, too salty, not salty enough, um, as a simplistic sort of um, uh, way to capture the kinds of things we do. What does that really mean? Uh, well, we see children relevant to today's discussion who are not growing as they should. In some cases, we see children that are growing too much. Uh, we see, unfortunately, a lot of children that are overweight, which often leads toward uh, or mainly toward type 2 diabetes in children. Um, we see thyroid problems, puberty problems, um, uh, problems um, with um, uh the ovaries and the testicles not working, uh, which of course is partly related to puberty, but other things, adrenal problems. Um, the list is not that long, but it keeps us busy. So, and, and with just out of curiosity, within all of those issues, do you have a favorite or a particular area of interest? Yeah, well, I think that that is actually why I'm here today, but um, certainly conditions that affect growth and, and puberty are, are big for me. And uh, I'm also involved with um, uh, some conditions that affect the adrenal gland uh, that are that are kind of rare. So then let's start with your favorite topic or, or your let's talk, let's start with one of your favorite areas of interest growth. I'm um, certainly a question I get a lot as a general pediatrician. Can you talk about what's a typical or normal expected, uh, what's normal growth that we should expect to see from, from children? Well, that sounds like a simple question, but it's not. Um, so it depends on a few things. It depends on the age of the child. Uh, it depends on, to some extent, whether it's a boy or girl. Um, it depends on the, the health of the child. It depends on uh, if uh, puberty is present. Uh, uh, sort of all of those factors go into it. Um, and uh, as a general rule, um, whether you're a boy or a girl, if your age is between four and ten years, you should grow on average two inches per year. That's what I teach to trainees. That's what I teach to parents and families. Um, 
And um, it almost doesn't matter if you're growing that amount, what part of the chart you're on. So if you're on the, when I, when I say it doesn't matter, I, of course it matters to the family, but it doesn't matter in the sense that you're likely to find a medical problem to account for that. If that child is growing on a line that is, or a percentile line that is um, uh, lower than it should be based on the family high genetics, or um, if it's just on a line that the parents of the child don't like, uh, whether or not it's correct or not for the family high genetics. But that two inches per year between four and ten is a is a single number. I mean, there's some kids taller kids from taller parents will grow more than that. Um, kids born to shorter parents will grow somewhat less to that, maybe you know a quarter of an inch on either side, uh, but not dramatically. So that that's the sort of bar uh, to compare uh, what an individual child's growth chart looks like. Um, and we don't, I don't see patients unless the growth chart arrives before them. Um, maybe at the same time, but the, the worst thing for me and the worst thing for the visit is if it comes after, because I will have measurements the day they come, but I won't, won't know how that child got there. And so I need to see the path, the trajectory. Um, a child that is growing at that normal rate will never have anything wrong, almost even no matter what part of the chart they're on. A child who's growing slowly over, let's say, a six or 12 month period could have something wrong. And it doesn't matter what that height is, you know, because you could be at the 95th percentile really tall. But if you drop down to the 50th percentile over a year, you're not short by societal standards, but something happened that made you do that. So you could actually have in that setting a serious medical problem. And so the rate of growth is the key. And to have a rate or velocity, you have to have at least two points over a reasonable period of time, which for me is six months. Maybe I'll settle for four, but six is ideal. Um, and so sort of that's sort of the, the way I look at it. And uh, um, I also look at this in the context of the parent sites. I've alluded to that. And I will tell you that when I, the patient is referred to me, the parents' heights come along ahead of time with the, let's say, the, the information that comes from the doctor's office, maybe 25% of the time. So for the pediatricians who are parents in the audience, uh, please send that information. It's inexpensive. It doesn't hurt. It's not a blood test. It's so, you know, important. And, um, if you don't send it, we get it, but it makes it just easier before I walk in the room to know what to expect. So, okay, now this may be a leading question, but why why is it so important? Do you find that parents' height makes a big difference when you determine the potential height of their children? Absolutely. There's two there's two key things that sort of control height. One is genetics. So taller parents will typically have taller children and smaller parents will typically have smaller children. Less important are the grandparents and the aunts and uncles, but it's really the parents. Now, if the parent is sh somehow shorter than, let's say, a sibling that that parent has of the same sex, and maybe that parent had a medical condition that affected height, this, the formula doesn't work quite as well. And that gets to the point of the other thing that can alter uh, expected height. And that's a serious a chronic medical illness, you know, let's say severe heart disease, um, you know, things of that nature. So your, your genetics, unfortunately, you may not get this, the full benefit from them um, if you, uh, as a child, have some serious medical problem that uh, affects your nutrition or your just you know, anything that's important in, in the world of growth. A lot of parents will say to me, um, you know, 
they'll wonder, you know, they'll say, well, I have a really tall grandparent or a really tall uncle. Does that play much predictive value in height of a child? Minimally. And I hear that too. Is there a way that parents can predict the height of their child based on the mother and the father's Mm -hmm. height? Right. Well, um, yes, uh, there's something called the Internet, um, and uh, you, can look, you can look it up. But uh, there's, there's probably, you know, more than one formula. But the, the formula that we use that, that works sort of the best um, is, uh, I'll tell it to you, um, you know, depend if you're making a prediction for a boy or for a girl, obviously. Um, so if, if you wanted to know for a male child how tall they're supposed to be using solely the parental heights, which is what we do, um, you average the father's height as is in inches. With the mother's height, after you adjust her height by five inches, that masculinizes her. That would have been the height she would have been if she'd been a male. So um, if a mom's 5'2", she, she becomes 5'7", for this equation. And let's say the dad is six feet, so six feet average was five seven is five nine and a half, and so you have to use that correction factor. Now nobody, including me, certainly can predict height to a single number. That would be, you know, uh, I would I wouldn't be on this podcast. I'd be working in Las Vegas at the lounge show, you know, making money. Um, but but seriously, um, uh, so we use, use a statistical sort of method to uh, broaden that range by plus or minus two inches on either side. And that, that ca- that's about 70% accurate, still not 100% accurate. Um, for a girl, it's sort of the reverse. You use the mother's height as is because she's a girl, and you feminize the father's height is to, by subtracting five inches because that's what he would have been had he been a female, and then, then you do the average in plus or minus two inches. That's, that's the formula. And this gives you a rough idea what to expect for your child's future yeah, height. About a 70% roughness. That's pretty, pretty good. That is pretty good. Um, now, what about, there's a lot of questions I get from parents that they want to know what multivitamin to give their child. They, they're concerned that their kid's not eating enough. How much do these factors make a difference in determining final yeah. height? So I, I think the, the broader question is what, what is the role of nutrition? Um, in, in all of this. And clearly, nutrition is important. Um, uh, it, it boils down mostly to calories. The reality is, if a child gains weight reasonably well, that child will, will grow to the rate that he or she is supposed to. Um, now, in a third world country, where calories and, and protein intake can be um, you know, severely limited, different story. But, you know, in the United States, that's, that's less of an issue. Um, but if a child is having, you know, a poor cal- calorie intake for whatever reason, supplementing that is not a bad idea, whether that's with, you know, uh, uh, prefab sort of high calorie formulas, uh, formula shakes or going to a, a s- store or making your own, um, you know, shakes with a lot of calories and, and good nutrition. It doesn't probably doesn't matter greatly, whatever is palatable. Um so that's okay, but that's that's not going to take a child from the, whose height is at the fifth percentile and bring it up to the ninety fifth percentile. It's not going to happen. Okay, that may help a little bit. Uh, things such as vitamins and uh, like vitamin D in particular, these are all good for your health. I'm not, I'm I'm all for them as long as too much of them is not taken because actually people don't sometimes realize that you can get very sick from excess intake of vitamins. 
whether that's going to any of that is going to cure, if you will, a growth problem. Um, in general, I would say it doesn't. So, if a parent says to me, you know, um, Doctor Hockman, I my my child is too short for my liking. I want to make sure they grow to their full potential. I want the I want them to grow more. Is there anything a parent can do for their child, whether it be sleep more, um, offer certain nutrition or supplements? I just want to hear what your thoughts are. Is there anything at all we can tell parents to do? Well, as, as I kind of stated about the nutrition angle, unless somebody is severely undernourished, um, uh, that's probably going to not greatly affect the height. It may replenish some things that are missing, perhaps, or at low levels, but it's probably not going to have a dramatic effect on height. Um, as to sleep, I get that asked that one also. Um, I think we're all brought up. Our parents tell us, "Oh, if you'll sleep more, you'll grow more," and that's right. based on um, the, well, it's based a little bit on the science of growth hormone. The body's um, growth hormone is produced mostly when we, we sleep, um, and so uh, the parent, you know, not not you know, in a way, but it assumes that, well, less sleep, less growth hormone, simple. Um, but there's never been a study done that I'm aware of, a research study that has shown a difference in height based on hours of sleep. Um, so um, one of the other reasons parents want their kids to get more sleep is so they have a little more time without their kids to recover from the day. But that's, you know, <laughs> I'm guilty uh, of that. Whole other thing. Um, all right. So that's, I think that's good to hear. I think for some parents, maybe it'll relieve the stress that there isn't more for them to do, that they don't have to get their kids boost or ensure or get them to bed at seven o'clock to get them to be uh, an inch or two taller. That's a good summary um, of what I was saying. <laughs> so is there, is there a time though when parents should pay attention if their child is not growing enough, when they should see a pediatric endocrinologist or talk to their pediatrician? What are the warning signs or, or lack of growth per se? Is it when they're not growing those two inches a year? Is there anything else that parents should be, be paying attention to? Well, I mean, the, the cardinal uh, uh, thing that, the, you know, the, both the parents and the pediatrician or primary care physician should be looking at is, is um, what, what has happened like over the previous year. Kids come in for physicals, typically once a year, and so there's numbers, and that, so that should be gauged. I know kids will come in in between those annual physicals, but oftentimes height is not part of an acute care visit, so you may not get that information. Um, uh, but if, if there's a beginning of a trend, uh, but it's a, it's a relatively small trend, then maybe the pediatrician should see the patient back in four months or six months, not wait another year, specifically for the purpose of, of a height uh, check. Um, but the, the old sort of standard, if, 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 a, if a child's height over a reasonable period of time, say six to 12 months, crosses, you know, a, 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 over one of those sort of prefab lines, those percentile lines on there, you know, uh, or certainly if they cross two, um, that's uh, immediately you should, uh, that child should be evaluated by an endocrinologist. But I, I, but I should point out to you, and this probably makes up the bulk of my business, and that is um, parents still sometimes and frequently want their child's growth fixed, even if it's not broken. And what do I mean by that? I mean, not broken, that meaning there's not an underlying medical condition. They're just small and having a tough time, uh, say, at school. Maybe they're getting picked on or, you know, unfortunately, bullying is ever prevalent. Um, sometimes they have a younger sibling who's past them in height. 
that actually worries parents. And it's tough on that kid because the younger one sometimes says, you know, I'm taller than you are, whatever. Um, and so the, the, the psychosocial ramifications of being small, uh, in my eyes, are, are, are large. Uh, maybe not in an insurance company's eyes, but in mine they are. And so um, I see plenty of patients who are not falling off, but they're just small and smaller than they should be. Now, some of those, um, when we didn't get into yet to the concept of the bone age, which is I think we need to get into that, some of those yes. children are just going to be late bloomers. Um, and their final adult height, they'll just get to it after their peers do, their final heights, and they'll turn out just fine. Unfortunately, though, they'll be at a disadvantage throughout their childhood because they'll be small, uh, and that could affect them socially. It could affect them athletically. It's another reason parents come. My child is a great basketball player, but, you know, he's too small. Um, I'm sure you see those, too. Um, would, you know, so. would you say that? Would you say that the late bloomer phenomenon is probably the most common reason why kids are shorter than their predicted height from parents or not necessarily? At, at the moment that I see them, yes, that absolutely, 100%. Yes. Okay. The, probably the most common reason I see, it, see a referral, though, is because the child is short and the parents are short. That's not, that's not a late bloomer. That's just what we call genetic short stature or familial short stature. The, both of those entities are, are variations of normal, um, but sometimes variations of normal that in, from which the child suffers and secondarily then the parents feel bad and they want to try to help their child. And uh, I see many more patients with those two, those two situations. I don't even want to call them conditions because they're not conditions. They're just variations of normal than I do of children with something that's a, a real disease causing their short stature. Disease is very rare in, in the growth field. I mean, it definitely it happens and it's going to happen, you know, more in my practice than it will in yours because the, the patients are funneled to me like that. But still, the majority of the patients I see, they're, they're, they're otherwise healthy. They're just slow growers for either familial reasons or late blooming reasons. Right. And in, in my, in my uh, personal life, myself, I'm, I'm almost 5'9". My husband is 6'1". And our son is the 15th percentile for height. And mm. so, you know, I just, I monitor that he does grow that appropriate two inches every year. Um, you know, and I just sort of, it is, a, it is what it is. It'll be what it'll be. But I'm curious to see if he'll be a late bloomer. Well, um, maybe, maybe at some point I'll do the bone age if you want to yeah. Go Let's ahead, talk about that's a, that's a great segue. Um, and <laughs> and uh, I'm going to whisper to you, you should get the bone age. Um, <laughs> um, you don't have to. Uh, so what is a bone age? A bone yeah. age is the age of the bones. And how is a bone age determined? It's determined uh, simply from looking at the configuration, presence and configuration of growth plates on an x-ray of the left hand. Um, and people always say, the left hand was... Where does that come from? And so 50 plus years ago, when the concept of bone age was first sort of discovered, uh, the uh, standards were uh, taken uh, using left hands because it was thought that since most people are right-handed, you should use the non-dominant hand. It turns out it doesn't matter. But the, the mm. book which we use to sort of determine the bone age is a book of left hands. Now, the bone age should normally be... the the same age as the child. So if you were five years old, you should have a five-year-old looking hand. If you were 10 years old, you should have a 10-year-old looking hand. Now, if perchance, let's say your child is 10, um, 
uh, and they're the size of an eight-year-old, they may well have the bone structure, the bone age of an eight-year-old. And so meaning that it's two years younger than they actually are. If that's the case, they're going to be two years shorter than they should be at that moment. But they should have the ability in the future to grow for two extra years after the age when their peers of the same age stop growing to then catch up. So it helps them in the future. If you can see into the future, it's a good thing. And you don't have to do anything about it because it's going to happen by itself. But some people are impatient or some people want the quick fix. So you have to sort of you know deal with that as, as, it, as it comes up. Now, also... When your bone age is two years later than you are, not infrequently going to the past, you will find that that child's teeth were late. Either eruption of the first baby tooth instead of being at six months, let's say it's at a year, or instead of the loss of the first baby tooth naturally, which typically is around the age of six, happens at seven or eight. And so, and then, you know, the parents go, what's going on here? What's taking so long? And the kid says, all oh, my friends are getting their money, um, you know, for losing their teeth and I, I'm poor. So, but, you know, and sometimes, sometimes parents don't remember if they have a bunch of kids. It's hard to remember these things, but it's actually, it can be a, a sort of a, a early clue that what the future is going to hold in, in the world of growth. And also, lastly, if your bone age is two years younger, let's in that example of, of 10, it's eight. So let's say when you're... Uh, I don't know, 12, it's going to be 10. And you're not going to start puberty when your friends do either. You're going to start puberty late because the timing of the onset of puberty is much more closely linked to the age of the bones than to the age of the child if the two are significantly different from one another. So that sometimes adds insult to injury um, because, you you know, uh, you're going to high school in ninth grade and you're a small boy and all the girls have already had their, their growth spurts. And we haven't even talked about that yet. Um, but it just sometimes the, 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 the perception, understandably, of, of where you fit in, which is often gauged on size, um, is, is it becomes even more awkward when you go to a new school, especially when there's older kids there than the seniors, you know, who are giants, relatively speaking. So th- it, this can this can be... Um, Hard. We just need to be, you know, sympathetic to it. I notice the parents that seem the most concerned, I find, not to generalize, but I meet a lot of fathers who are concerned when their, you know, when their sons in particular are shorter. And I think mm-hmm. when I ask them more questions, they remember their childhoods when they were shorter and mm-hmm. they, they worry for their children. They want them to have an easier childhood. Um, so I do find that the late bloomer phenomenon tends to be genetic. Would you, would you agree with that? About 50% of the time, half. Interesting. The other Interesting. half, it's not, but, it, but it'll, it'll be possibly passed down to the next generation. <laughs> so, so let's say, for example, my son, if his bone age, I find, is two years behind, is there anything else that I should do? Or can we call it a day and say, oh, okay, I know my son's going to be uh, that late bloomer and, and he'll be delayed a couple of years and eventually he'll grow enough? Or do you think as an endocrinologist, from your perspective, is there any more testing that should be done? Not if he's consistently growing at a normal rate at that setting, uh, uh, that bone age, uh, uh, that bone age reading. No, that's really just reassurance for me to you. That's a freebie. That's <laughs> now, that's really great to know because a lot of parents, you know, will find the bone age is delayed and there's a question, should we be checking more hormones just to make sure? But 
Good growth. I totally, totally agree with that. But so that's why you need accurate height measurements over time. Yes. That tells, that's the guidepost for that. And I, I should just qualify. Um, we're probably talking about after the age of two years, because there's another thing that happens sometimes that confuses the matter. So if we go back to birth for a second, okay, the birth measurements, certainly the birth weight doesn't correspond with anything, because if a mother is well-nourished, she's going to have a big baby. And, and so sometimes um, you see growth deceleration after birth, both in weight and length. Because the mother was just too good of a self-feeder, uh, uh, and maybe she put on a little too much weight, and so that, that makes the baby grow bigger and, and actually uh, outdo its, its genetics in fetal life. And so when the baby comes out, they channel down. You know, we always talk about uh, you know, growth that sort of channels up, but you, you can see channeling down of growth. Um, and so in that window, I think one, unless there's some you know, other medical aspects to that child's story, uh, you don't want to get too, too worried about that unless it's like extreme. No, I love that you bring that up because this is a frequent uh, story in our office where a baby will be, let's say, 95th percentile for weight, 95th for height. And as they get to be like nine months a year, they, they slim down, their growth isn't as, they're not at the same percentiles and parents worry. Mm-hmm. But it's great to hear you say that this is a normal phenomenon. Well, it, it certainly can be. I, I, I mean, it's, the trick of all of this is always to know when something is most likely to be normal when it might not be. And that just requires a lot of savvy and clinical experience. And and, uh, and, and if the pediatrician needs a little you know, extra support, that's why I exist. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That was great. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really genuinely appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. If you know anyone who would also benefit from today's topic, I would be so grateful if you would share it as your support is what helps this podcast grow.